down three important truths your conscience believes. Discuss how these truths impact the way you live. Shalom. Think of an instruction or commandment of God you are finding hard to obey. It's been a while what your struggle is and how you since are I stood it. behind this pulpit. And I think there are many reasons for it. I and three will not go into the all the reasons. Witnessing is not something. It is a joy and privilege for me this morning to bring God's word to you. And I must thank uh, Pastor Shun uh, for allowing me to share the pulpit. We have been following a series uh, studying the book of Acts. I think we started back in July, so we've come quite a long way. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, I think more appropriately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of God recorded in this book for our instruction and guide on how we are to live our lives as Christians. We are looking into the episode of Paul facing his trial before the Sanhedrin. He has to answer some charges brought against him. Let us go to God in prayer. Our Father, it is so good to be found in your house this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming to hear your word and to fellowship with your people. Thank you, Father, for this precious time you have set aside for us that we may listen to your word and hear what you have to say to us. We pray you give us understanding that we may learn your righteous laws. We pray now you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard about a pastor. I think it's a bit risky to tell pastor stories in church, but it's not Pastor Schoen. This pastor was approached by a man to do uh, his brother's funeral. Neither this man nor his brother had been going to church or showed any interest. And this man came to the pastor, offered to give $25,000 to the church if only the preacher would call his brother a saint at the funeral. Everyone in the community knew this man was a rascal. And a friend of the pastor asked, 
you are not going to do it, are you? The pastor replied he was going ahead with it because the church needed the money. So word got around that the preacher had sold out to a family for money and the church was then filled for the funeral. The pastor stood up and this is what he said. The man we are burying here today was a liar, a cheat, and a drunk. However, next to his brother who is sitting here today, he was a saint. A famous American author and speaker once said this, with integrity you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide. With integrity you will do the right thing so you will have no guilt. We cannot but all have to agree because we are wired this way. We have one creator God, and this creator God honors integrity. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 verse 9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Now Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and he spotlights Paul the Apostle in this passage that has been read to us. The Bible has many lessons on how we are to live a life of integrity as a Christian. And that's what I will be speaking about. I want you to put on your thinking caps. Think conscience Word, wisdom. First, conscience. I looked it up in the internet, and one of the definitions is conscience means having a sense inside of us of what's right or wrong, and good conscience means faithfully living out what your conscience believes. Leave out what your conscience believes. Let me say up front, it's not simply believing in anything or anyone, but believing in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and follow him. In that passage which has been read out to us, 
Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is the Jewish High Council. It's made up of the religious rulers and teachers of Israel. Paul is facing some drummed-up charges that are brought up against him. Certain Jews have found fault with what Paul was teaching. These people, they were lawyers, they were religious teachers, law experts in themselves, self-appointed guardians of the Jewish religion, and they would swear to do everything to protect their people from false teachings. These Jews probably claim that they are the chosen people of God and salvation belongs to them alone. But here comes Paul, who preaches salvation has come to the Gentiles and salvation is for all who call on the name of Jesus. Paul challenges their belief. And this woke them up and they got very furious wanting to get rid of Paul. Acts 22 verse 30, the commander wanted to find out exactly what Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And so now, Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin. He is standing in the dock alone, making his defense before the Roman commander who has ordered this Sanhedrin to assemble in a, a very quick time. Paul was found, or he found himself in a very tight spot. And finding yourself in a tight spot, you would want to look for a way to escape. So Paul easily could play along with his accusers to secure his own release. But he stands strong on his integrity and he is going to take them head on. And Paul makes his defense. Acts 23 verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Paul is a Jew. Though he's a Christian, he wants to maintain he's still a good Jew. To the Jew, the laws of God, the Torah, are paramount. And the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. What is Paul saying? 
To put it simply, he's saying he fulfills all of that. And in short, he's blameless before God. He's a man of integrity and good conscience. He could say honestly, I have faithfully lived that way this very day. Paul believes in Jesus. He believes he is doing the right thing and he's carrying out the mission that God has given him. Paul has earlier told his accusers he had encountered Jesus in a very personal way on the road to Damascus. How he had changed from a zealous persecutor of Christians to now a passionate preacher of the gospel. Paul is completely innocent of the charges thrown at him. But all that didn't go so well. Verse 2, at this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. That was a nasty reaction. Paul sure didn't see that coming. Is this the way to treat your fellow brother, a family member? Well, this Ananias is far from being friendly, much less family. He's a nasty man. He takes Paul's statement as a direct result. How dare Paul make such a claim? Ananias is his chief priest, right? That would make the chief priest look bad. We can't have that. We can speculate a little here that perhaps Ananias was troubled by his bad conscience. His conscience is corrupted by sin. And the Bible tells us in the book of Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the corrupted and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Luke doesn't give us any details about this man called Ananias except that he is described as the chief priest. But I think we can learn something about him from the historian Josephus, and this is what he wrote. Ananias was one of the worst high priests they ever had, and they hated him. He was a man morally bankrupt, he became very rich through corruption, and history tells us 10 years later, the Jews would rebel against the Romans and destroy the entire army in Jerusalem. They kill all the Romans, and this Ananias, they kill also. How did Paul take that slap across his face? Not well. The slap stings. He loses his cool. So Paul lashes back. 
I think that's only natural. Paul is not perfect. Paul is human like us. Verse 3, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I know if I were Paul, far more offensive words, almost swear words, may somehow find a way rolling out of my mouth in quick succession. God will strike you dead. You BXXXX. Y, 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 Y. Z, 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 Z. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Well, Paul has a point here, I think. He's saying, you are prejudging and punishing me even before I can defend myself. I'm innocent, and you have not proven me guilty. Paul is calling Ananias a whitewashed wall. That's a derogatory term for a person who looks good on the outside but rotten in the inside. And sure, that hurts his ego. But Paul intended that to hurt. Paul vents his anger. He didn't know that Ananias was who he was, the chief priest, when he blurted out at him. But then in a moment, in a flash, all that changed when he realized he has just spoken evil about the chief priest. You and I know that kind of feeling. You wish you didn't say those words. You just wish you could somehow catch them in midair as the words travel out of your mouth and you want to take them back. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare insult God's high priest? I'm just trying to understand how Paul feels at that moment. I can only think of one word. Mad. But no, Paul cools off and he apologizes. Just a moment ago, he boldly declared he has fulfilled his duty to God and kept his commandments. And now, he finds himself breaking the very law of God. What do you do then? Do what the word of God says. Now, if we are honest, we must confess we give lip service to God's word most of the time because obedience goes counter to our human nature. Everyone wants to be boss. We hate it when we are told, you should do this. The word should is almost like a swear word. Do this or do that. 
don't do this or don't do that. We just hate to be told when we are wrong. Let's face it, the Bible has some hard truths within it. Some people like to water down God's word to make it sound more acceptable. But Paul takes pains to honor God's word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 2, this is what he writes. He refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to guard ourselves against watering down or tampering with God's word in any way. I know it's not easy. It's not any easier because the Bible says so. We struggle. We wrestle with God. But just remember this. God has a right to decide what's right and good. We don't. Now, if I can try to put it simply, we just need to come to that place, that place, that humble place, not a proud place, and acknowledge there is so much I don't understand, but I do trust the God who does. A humble posture is where we should seek. God never goes back on his word. There's no need to look for excuses or to justify our actions. If we are wrong by the word of God, we are wrong. Period. So Paul readily admits he said the wrong thing. And he humbles himself. He says sorry. Paul realizes he shouldn't have said what he has said. He shouldn't have spoken evil about the chief priest. Brothers, I did not realize that he was the chief priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. This was not what his accusers expected. They least expected Paul's apology. They expected him to hunt them even more. They least expected his open admission that he has broken God's law. But this he did when he quoted from the book of Exodus 22, Verse 28, and this somehow calmed the situation. Like Paul, we need to know the word of God, the laws of God, his commands, his statutes, his decrees. Jesus is king. King Jesus decreed 
and his decrees are found in this, in this book called the Bible, the divine word of God. Paul knows those laws and they are to be fully obeyed. That doesn't just apply to Paul, it equally applies to all of us. This is a tough call. We are not talking about man-made laws. We're talking about the perfect laws of God. Recently, I've been meditating on Psalm 119, full of gems, full of diamonds on how we are to live. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless and who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You, God, have laid down precepts to be fully obeyed. And the psalmist says, I will obey your word. I will obey your decrees. Yet how many of us are guilty of violating God's decrees? This one law just says, you are not to speak evil. Don't speak evil about those who hold positions of authority over us. If you and I have a clear conscience, we have to confess. We have failed to obey God. We have followed the crowd. We have berated our leaders and we have written nasty things about them in our Facebook and in Instagram and in Twitter. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm equally guilty and we ought to repent. The law is in there. We cannot ignore it or wish it away. Now, if you argue it's Old Testament law, you will also find it in New Testament. In Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. The Roman government in Paul's day was far worse than those of our governments of today. Yet Paul urges the believers to respect authority that's been placed there by God. Even if we disagree with the person holding the position of authority over us, 
and we certainly don't have to agree with all the evil and corrupt deeds of our leaders. You don't have to join the fan club. But the essence of the law is we are to respect the position regardless of who is appointed to sit there. God, in his infinite wisdom, has laid down this command, though we struggle with it. We cannot gloss over it. If you, are, you and I are to live right before God, we need to ask him to forgive us and stop cursing our leaders. Paul is with us in this. We are not alone. Acts 24, 16, we find him saying, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. My final point, fulfill God's call to be a witness for Jesus. Acts 1.8, which is so familiar to us. Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul is a Christian. Paul is a witness for Jesus. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. And now the time has come for him to witness to his Jewish brothers. He's not there to win an argument. God placed him there to be a witness, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the other Pharisees called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, Kakilanga, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection of the dead. That was an issue. Jesus is alive. That was an issue. So they all ganged up and they discussed and there was quite a strife because there was disagreement. The Sadducees and Pharisees were arguing and fighting with each other, getting at each other's throats. Is there resurrection of the dead or is there not? The Sadducees say there is no resurrection but the Pharisees disagree, so they are deeply divided. Just one moment ago, they were all united, wanting to get rid of Paul. Now they are divided, tearing at each other. The Pharisees finally took control. Thank God, somebody takes control. They stood up and they argued vigorously to defend Paul. We find nothing wrong with this man. 
What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? But that did not stop the dispute. It got out of hand and turned so violent that the commander had to rescue Paul and bring him into the barracks. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. And the gospel can offend. Like Paul, you and I are not there to win an argument. We are there to witness, to testify about what we have seen and heard, our experiences, to share the truth about Jesus, the truth that Jesus died for our sins and reconciled us to God. We speak words of grace. We speak words of encouragement. We speak words about the resurrection and his life. We talk about Jesus' love. We pray that our family and friends will accept him and receive Jesus. That they will confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. You and I don't need to be like Paul the Apostle or like Billy Graham, the public evangelist. But we are all called to be witnesses for Jesus in our homes, our workplaces, and our communities. It means we live as Christians every day of our lives. Not only on Sundays when we come to church, you and I are not actors. We are not pretend Christians. We are faithful followers of Christ. We are witnesses for him. Our whole life is a witness. Someone says, witnessing is not something we do. It is who we are. We have nothing to hide. We are open to scrutiny and wherever we go, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. You may be the only Bible people ever read. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Great encouragement. The Lord has been there all along, watching all that's been happening. God watches and acts. God honors integrity and good conscience. God speaks this word of encouragement to Paul up close, personal, intimate. God speaks when you draw close to him. Take courage, he says. That's more than enough for Paul. Only words, the only strength that he needs to carry on. You are doing fine. Good, Paul. Carry on. 
be encouraged for now. You will have to take the gospel to the highest office in Rome. Let me quickly conclude. God honors integrity. And a life of integrity is all about keeping a good conscience. Live out what your conscience believes. What you believe about God, Jesus and the cross, and the Bible must be carved in stone. No compromises. Your beliefs must be solidly rooted in the word of God. Know the word of God. Study the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Memorize the word of God. We must live true to our convictions and our beliefs. Do what the word of God says. We cannot cherry pick. We have to take the whole counsel of God when it comes to following wholeheartedly what the Bible teaches. We must constantly be on guard against excusing ourselves and justifying our actions that run contrary to God's word. Fulfill God's call to be a faithful witness for Jesus through your word, through your actions, through your life. If I may say so, our single most important purpose why God has called us is to fulfill the mission to reach the world with the gospel. And you and I have this privilege to partner God in this exciting journey. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message this morning. You've spoken into our lives. We confess, Lord, we wrestle with you and we struggle with you over your word. Like Paul, we strive to live with integrity and keep a good conscience before you and all men. But there are times we falter and we succumb to the ways of the world. Father, we thank you for your sacrificial death on the cross to pay for our sins. But not only that, that your blood cleanses our conscience. Help us, Lord, to keep our conscience clean and be faithful to your word and to your calling to be a witness for Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Write down three important truths your conscience believes. Discuss how these truths impact the way you live. Two, think of an instruction or commandment of God you are finding hard to obey. Share what your struggle is and how you are overcoming it. And three, discuss the statement, witnessing is not something we do, 
It is who we are.